Welcome to the Restart Radio Show, a very different show about gadgets on Resonance 104.4 FM. This is a different show because unlike most, we don't focus on those new shiny, shiny things for you to buy. We focus on the value of the stuff we already have. The Restart Project aims for a shift of behavior towards a more sustainable and happier relationship with electronics. Our monthly community repair events here in London, called Restart Parties, are just the beginning. My name is Janet Gunter. I'm a co-founder of the Restart Project, and I'm joined today by veteran Restart volunteer and electronics engineer in training, Ben Skidmore. Hi. Um, in this episode, um, we're going to go on a bit of a sensorial journey. We're going to talk about the sensorial and uh, kinesthetic aspects of electronics repair. And um, I think it's going to be a really fun and interesting reflection on uh, the work we do to extend the lives of electronics and gadgets, but it will also help us, uh, in a sense, uh, take stock and figure out um, where how our relationship with electronics and gadgets is changing. Um, but to start, um, I'm going to ask Ben, before we go into our sensorial journey, um, ask Ben about a very important purchase he just made. <laughs> yeah, um, it didn't seem like it would be such a big thing, but uh, I bought my first uh, TV this week, which is actually, I think, the first thing I've ever bought new that's electronic. So, you know, I've lived my life as a, as a nerd, but everything's always been secondhand or gifted to me, and I've fixed it and owned it and loved it. And this was the first time I was just choosing something from the, the masses that are available to purchase. And it was kind of terrifying. Okay, you did tell us in a previous episode about your first guitar, which um, did you buy? Did you get that one new? The, yeah. Okay, so so minus the guitar, this was your first big new electronics. Uh, yeah, purchase. as consumer electronics go. Okay, and so you went and got a big TV, I'm assuming? Um, yeah, you know, it, it started out as I've kind of, over the last few years, I've traded up several times. I've got a bigger TV secondhand and then found another one and another one. And I decided every, there was always something wrong. So I needed to choose the one I wanted precisely and then get it and have a warranty and peace of mind. And I started looking online, as I always do when I buy anything these days, because I'm of that generation. And I was just digging myself into this hole of like facts and details where there were so many things to worry about and nothing was perfect. And I'd be about to buy and then there'd be a, a review that said there was one tiny fault. I know the feeling. <laughs> yeah. So, so after a while, I realized I need to actually take a, a new angle or an old angle, which is go to a shop and, and get customer service from a, an actual shop employee who knows what they're talking about. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it does. It just sounds it does actually sound a bit like an old fashioned idea. So yeah. tell us about your experience. Um, well, in, in Britain, we've got this company called Richer Sounds who are known for th that, you know, they sell stereos as well. And uh, they let you actually go and pick a few stereos you're interested in and have like a listening session. So they really want you to be happy with what you buy. So that sounded great to me. Um, and I just went along on a Sunday kind of saying, you know, I could get it. I could just see how it goes. Um, and I got exactly that. I got service and I got my questions answered and I was reassured that if there was a problem, it would be taken care of. Um, and it was like the, the the stress just melted away almost immediately. Yeah. So, you know, we think we're getting all these benefits by being in control of all the data and buying online where we have, uh, you know, a choice of the best price and all of these options. But really, sometimes it's too much choice. No, uh, I, I tend yeah. to agree with you. I mean, even with cameras and things like that, things that in some way, I mean, frankly, actually, TVs now require certain expert knowledge, um, but things that require a little bit of extra mm. expert insight, I, I, I always find it really reassuring to talk to someone 
Um, and did, do, do you think the salesperson was, I'm just curious, was mm. working on commission? You know how that works? Well, I, as someone who's worked in a shop mm-hmm. that does services for money, and so there is an element of making the right sale to make enough money, um, I was aware that if I'd spent an hour with him and didn't buy anything, I might be giving him a problem with his boss or something like that. Um, but there was no pressure. He didn't seem to be on commission. He didn't ever point me at anything I hadn't already mentioned. I mean, I went in there knowing the model number of TV I wanted to look at. And he went, okay, there it is. And he stood <laughs> next to it and he talked to me about it. So okay. there was like almost negative pressure. He was almost trying to listen to what I wanted, okay. <laughs> which oh, felt strange, good. but it worked. That's good. Yeah, I mean, this is the age of, I guess, where um, uh, kind of, I would say, slightly... Uh, I think there's a bit of an ethical bind with with going to a shop mm-hmm. and trying something out, knowing that you might actually go home and buy it online. Yeah. And I know that's really common, and that kind of that that kind of behavior does somewhat undermine brick and mortar businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like there is there's a bit of social pressure going, and almost even potentially more social pressure going into a shop now than there might have been before. Yeah. You see what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so you have a new big screen tv are you happy with it i am i mean um first i had to wait for delivery so that was it was fascinating because you know my girlfriend has been listening to me talk about different tvs for weeks and as you mentioned the technical information i've got too much more than i need now um so there were three days where all i would do was go would go i've bought it it's done it's over the ordeal (laughs) is over and then it came and there was a lot of nerves opening it and switching it on um but what i found in terms of real measurable output is uh I'm spending more time at my TV. So that oh, must mean I'm okay. enjoying it. Okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm not sure that's a positive outcome, but yes, if you bought a TV, then I guess it yeah. is. Yeah. Okay. I've been playing computer games and I've been watching movies and kind of A, being and, and enjoying the experience. So I, I guess I'm kind of owning the experience yeah. of purchasing something. Oh, that's cool. I hope it brings you many years of uh, happiness <laughs> and energy efficiency also. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, well, uh, that's an interesting start to this episode um, because we're going to be talking about um, getting behind the screen, as it were, um, the sensorial and kinesthetic aspects of repair. And I, I, uh, I reflected a little bit about this last year um, when I... Uh, sat down and wrote a small essay. I'm going to read a little bits from it. Um, and we're going to go through sense by sense, Ben and I, and talk about how we use our senses um, in troubleshooting and fixing electronics and using them for longer. And we're going to talk about what all of that means. Um, but I, I got to thinking about this last year, actually after a walk in the park. And um, in that morning walk, I remember feeling the winds pick up and I noticed the dark clouds gathering above, and I started taking longer strides, and I felt the rain was coming, and the winds died suddenly down, and I caught myself, like, instinctively, my mind was kind of processing the sensorial input, even just the wind on my on my skin. And I, I just, I felt that feeling, it's like a, almost a primal feeling of, like, mm. it's about to rain. And I remembered at age 12, when I was in primary school <laughs> um, in the state of Missouri in the U.S., I had been required to learn the clouds. Um, you know, I was required to learn that the cirrus cloud meant cold weather was coming. And it seemed odd. Um, this was like an agrarian legacy in a state where most of the population was already urban. Um, my mom, she was born and raised in London. And I remember she used to tell me this. She used to tell me in North America. Red skies at night, shepherd's delight. <laughs> and I always 
mm. asked myself whether this kind of advice was valid where I was. Um, and in London, in this post-Shepherd place, I, I couldn't help but wondering whether our relationship with technology is actually dulling our sens sensory um, experiences and kind of dulling the way in which we we walk through and live in the world. Um, and I got to thinking about this last year when talking again to a bunch of students, and they were probably about the same age I was when I learned about those cirrus clouds. And we asked them over the Internet, we asked them, what is the Internet made of? And the unanimous response from the, the, the class of students was, information. <laughs> and then I asked, no, 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 but what, is, what material is the Internet made of? Is there a hamster wheel somewhere? <laughs> and the next response was, satellites. And I was like, hmm, think. And then finally and thankfully, somebody said, wires. And so that was my cue to show the submarine cable map, which is really stunning if you have a chance to mm. look it up. And then I showed photos of the Google's data centers. And a hush came over the classroom um, because the, the, the sheer size of these data centers with their cooling tanks and their stadium-sized server farms was really awe-inspiring. And, um, well, it turns out that the global footprint of the Internet is now greater than air travel. And so this is something that we've really been trying to kind of bring to people, uh, the material and physical aspects of technology. Um, we do this in our, you know, in our community events where we open stuff up. Um, but it started to really have me question, uh, you know, is it that we're sliding towards some form of collective sensory deprivation? Um, in, in this age where everything is mediated by screens, touch screens, I mean, it's true that we're touching them, but it feels different. Um, and all these new studies suggest that, uh, that the dangers of screen time, as it's called, for children and adults. And, you know, we're not scientists, but something just feels different. It feels wrong. Um, and so we're finding that uh, our tactile interaction seems to be really limited to tapping and swiping, um, that we struggle to even change a battery or to upgrade storage. Um, and everything seems increasingly sealed, like a sealed black box. Um, so children who don't know about the internet, they don't know that devices can be opened, that they have parts. Um, so we're just feeling this increasing sense of, of alienation with physical things. Um, and so, you know, it, it basically has us thinking, okay, what is the kind of screen time that we want? Mm -hmm. And for us, the screen time is getting behind the screen. <laughs> so that's what Ben and I are going to talk about now. What, what does it feel like when you get behind the screen? Um, the first sense that, well, and mm. we're on the radio, so it's great, that we're going to talk about is, is, uh, is hearing and listening. Mm. Um, so there's a lot there, right, Ben? Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it can be anything from, like, the listening for the moment your casing snaps open when you're sliding a, a prying tool down the side of it. Or, uh, or, but it can also be, like, uh, when you drop a device and you know by the sound if something broke or if it didn't. You know, so it's, it's one of our strongest senses uh, because every material is different and I think we're tuned to it. Like you were mentioning the weather, you, you, that was a subconscious. You're tuned to acknowledge the weather. You didn't look for the clouds and decide how the weather was going to be. Your body's tuned. Yeah. So I think with hearing, we're tuned into all of our devices. 
Definitely. Oh, and th with hearing, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of fa almost like infamous sounds that can, that have come from devices, right? Over the, over the and years, and even phantom sounds. I mean, uh, you know, uh, when you're so used to the sound of your device's ringtone or, or beat that you think you hear it and you don't. That's really common. I'm not the only person that's happened yeah. to, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's true. And so, um, w the first sound we're gonna we're gonna talk about, and I have a sample here. Uh, is in fact we were talking about this mm -hmm. last week hard drives yeah so people often bring hard drives to or machines with with faulty hard drives to restart mm -hmm. parties yeah. what are we going to hear ben uh sometimes known as the click of death so if you don't recognize it you're blessed but if, if you've heard it before it will probably strike fear into your heart now, um, these sounds come from a professional data recovery company that has a really great library. Mm. You described it as something like the horror library yeah. <laughs> of sounds. Um, so here is the sound, care of uh, datacent.com, of a Seagate desktop drive with failing heads. So <laughs> it's not experimental music on resonance. <laughs> it's the sound of a failing hard drive. Um, we've got another one with some bad heads clicking mm. around. Um, this is from the same source, another Seagate hard drive. Um, so I literally saw you, you, <laughs> you, you winced actually yeah. on that one, Ben. So, um, so these are sounds that I, I always tell people, I always tell them to kind of temper their expectations yeah. Yeah, <laughs> when we hear these sounds. You know, that's the thing where if you've got the hard drive in your hand on a cable and you, you plug it into the computer, it makes that sound half of you wants to just pull it back out and go, is something wrong? You know, this is not a good sign. Yeah, do you have a backup? Yeah. My, in fact, that's what it says on this page, is if you're hearing these sounds, please make a backup immediately. Um, so they're, they're the sounds of hard drives. and um, they're, it, but, okay, now, Just to say also that it doesn't mean that if you hear clicking on your hard drive that it's absolutely dead or that you mm -hmm. can't recover data, but um, it is potentially serious. It's a warning sign. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, there are other sounds that we hear. Um, we were just talking earlier about how this, the, the gadgets that actually have like mechanical mechanical parts in them the electronics they're they're um they're mm. kind of fading out in a way yeah i mean well hard drives is one example that um probably half of new computers now don't have a mechanical hard drive with a spinning disc they have a, a solid state chip drive for storage yeah um you know a lot of devices don't have fans anymore um mm. as people move towards tablets and and small netbooks those things are passively cooled so yeah. even the sound of a fan that i would say in every computer most people know it's starting to, to go away and uh, here's another sound that we're going to share, which is um, which is also pretty pretty much been phased out of of most uh, mm -hmm. laptops. It's the sound of a, a drive, a CD drive.
So, um, what, what, what do you take from that sound? And like, I mean, in diagnosing, a, you know, a mm. mechanical or spinning, spinning drive or object. Um, you know, it's it's quite familiar to hear that kind of the sound of seeking, where it might be trying to find the start of a disc over and over. Mm -hmm. And if you're getting that repetitive clicking or wind sound, it's not usually a good sign, you know, because usually things like that will stabilize. So, so after a while, they'll spin up, they'll find what they want, and then they'll kind of calm down. Mm. I mean, it actually reminds me of floppy drives, which floppy disks are maybe 20 years out of date now. But as a kid, it was that familiar sound of putting it in and having it go click, 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 spin, you know. Yeah. Um, and even back then as well, the sound of dialing up, which is even more disappearing because no one has to dial up their internet anymore. Yeah. But any, anyone our age kind of knows that sound. Yeah, it's funny how this is coming. Even the, the people comment about how the floppy disk is still the save, symbol for saving. Yeah. When in fact, most most uh, most young people have never seen one. That's right. <laughs> um, thanks to Jack Max uh, for that sound of the broken CD drive. Um, and w there are a couple other interesting sounds and sensorial experiences in fixing, and we were trying to kind of think of the, mm. some other sonic experiences, and I couldn't um, I couldn't find a great. Uh, I couldn't find a, a recording of Solder, of Solder actually going onto a circuit board or the actual moment of soldering. I don't know if it makes a perceptible sound, Ben? There are, you know, there are sounds associated with it. So mm. you've got the, um, as you apply solder to the iron or to the work, um, the flux inside sometimes spits or crackles or mm. sizzles. Um, and the same as you apply it to the joint, sometimes you get that kind of sizzle. Mm -hmm. um, and, and also, you know, the sponge, cleaning the soldering iron on the sponge. Okay, yeah, I d that I was able to find a sample of, and it's quite a nice one. Um, this is from Weave of K, shared on Free Sounds. Um, yeah, so that's the that was when you'd be cleaning the tip of a soldering yeah, iron, right, right, on a sponge. Um, so those are some of the sounds that we hear. Um, and some of the other sounds I thought of uh, were definitely the audible sound of a multimeter. So when we're testing a circuit for continuity, sometimes you can you can use a beeping. Yeah, well, yeah actually, that's my favorite way of, of doing it because it frees up your other senses to do other parts of the work. So if you're fault finding a circuit board. You know, you're looking at the board, looking for the traces and where they go, and you're following it with the probes in the mm -hmm. meter, and you're d you don't want to keep looking over at the meter for a visual readout, so you wait for a beep. And a lot of people I work with seem to prefer getting a visual reading, but for me, it's perfect to just to have a sense waiting to to be part of that system. <laughs> You're listening to Restart Radio on Resonance 104.4 FM, and we're going through the senses. Uh, we're coming to our senses. We're talking about how um, different senses are used in repair and troubleshooting in electronics and how having a sensorial relationship with gadgets um, is really much more profound. And um, we're going to get to, at the end, what happens when we don't use our senses as much. Okay, the next sense we're going to talk about, Ben, is a sense of touch. Mm -hmm. um, and that really, you kind of alluded to that, but that's a really important one in uh, repair. Well, yeah, I mean, um, I often say that kind of the, the, the key skill I've developed that is not an innate natural talent, but something I've learned with practice is knowing how much pressure to apply when you turn a screw, open a casing, 
try and pry off a piece of glass on a screen and this is how you avoid breaking things more when you're working on them uh and it's you know it's quite finely tuned because i've been doing it for 20 years where for some people they're just getting into it and and so i think that's really important is your sense of kind of touch and pressure Mm -hmm. um, for so many aspects of repair. We find um, that's actually one of the reasons we started Restart Parties is because there are so many tutorial great videos online, mm. but uh, it's, it's that moment when you're, with your, when you're working with a very small, a fine uh, piece of electronics or a gadget and you're, you just don't know how much pressure to apply. And that's yeah. something that you just cannot get off of a YouTube video. That's right. I mean, yeah. we found, I remember one repair we did of an iPod Touch with a uh, very keen um, participant, and he, he, he said exactly that. He said, you know, uh, I watched the videos, I bought the spare part, I was pretty much ready to do it myself, but I, without the help of a mm. restarter, he said, I never would have been able to finish this. Um, and it's, it's some of the confidence that comes with experience too, right? Ben? Yeah, I mean, even because, you know, in after doing 20 or 30 modern devices you find re repetitions of connections and plugs and sockets that you get familiar with but the first time you don't know if you need to you know pry it off with a screwdriver or if it will just pop off with a fingernail so um, you just have to get some practice in and, and get familiar with it. Another thing that um, we tend to use our sense of touch for I, I notice on circuit boards is uh, capacitors and there's this issue of bad capacitors yeah. um, and sometimes they bulge but mm. sometimes ever so slightly and actually it's easier to detect the bulge when, you, when you're running your finger across the top of right. the capacitor. Um, maybe maybe I just have a better sense of touch than my sense of sight. But, but it's, wor it's worth knowing, isn't it? It's worth trying because um, I often look at things and go, is that bulged? I'm not sure. Maybe it was made that way. Hmm. So, you know, uh, that's also why it's good to have multiple senses is you can check with one what you can't find with another. And what about solder? So a, a solder joint, an actual solder connect soldered connection, when it dries out, mm. can, you, can you feel that? Well, or yeah, if it's um, held firm... Mm -hmm. then it's firm. But if you've got either a poorly done joint or it's gone dry, one of the components usually comes loose. So, you know, you kind of give it a wobble or a tug. And, and actually, when I solder, a lot of people say you should look for shiny joints, and, and that's true. But my test of, is this joint good, is to pull on the component. And <laughs> so, that obviously, that's well honed to pulling enough to test it under stress, but not enough to break it on purpose. Mm. So, um, it's definitely an important sense for, for solder, yeah. Okay, and um, one thing we mentioned earlier was like uh, liquid damage, and we get—I mm. bet a lot of professionals get people kind of not owning up to liquid <laughs> damage that's happened, or being like, "Oh, I don't know why this suddenly failing." I um, but with a sense, with your sense of touch, you can often detect liquid damage, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the thing about liquid damage is uh, water is not actually that bad for electronics compared to salty water, sugary coffee, a lot of other things. So. It's very much about, um, you'll often open a device and you'll see some moisture marks and they could be from being in a steamy bathroom or they could be from someone spilling a pint of beer. So it's, it's good to be able to separate those out. So for instance, uh, sugary coffee will end up sticky. Even after it dries, it's still tacky. Uh, where beer is it's more of a smell thing, but you can tell when there's been beer in something. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. And uh, the last thing I thought of with the sense of touch mm. is um, uh, cables and and problems, faults with cables. Yeah. Um, mean, with headphones, you often we often see volunteers very carefully running them through their fingers to see if to, to, to see if they can feel a break as opposed to see it. Yeah, that's right. And if you know if if a cable should be the same uh, bendiness, shall we say, all the way along, 
and you find that one bit seems too bendy, that's also true that it's probably got a break there. Great. And um, so, well, hopefully that's something that we'll continue to u- we'll continue to use headphones even when everything becomes miniaturized <laughs> and, and small and not mechanical. We'll still be fixing cables. Um, smell, the sense of smell. And this is a really interesting one. We, mm-hmm. you know, we do see a lot of restarters um, kind of, they look like sometimes they're sniffing at things. <laughs> Can you explain why, Ben? Well, I mean, um, you know, there's, it's, there is definitely a smell associated with when electronics get hot and burn and when something's actually, you know, been damaged by that. Um, and that's quite noticeable. But there's also a more subtle smell when electronics have just been too warm. So there's, there's certainly um, a kind of a first test, because also it's non-invasive, you see. Before you have to open something up or check it with a meter or take a component off, you can just go, yeah, that smells like it's been burned. Yeah. And um, with motors, uh, when we're, we're dealing with household appliances, it's kind yep. of a dead giveaway. If we can smell burning, Big we, time. Yeah, we're a bit worried. Actually, that happened this week at home. I've got a very old microwave and it's just it's just a cheap one that was in my house when I moved in. And uh, uh, I was just, I think, heating up something really quickly before dinner. And uh, as soon as I turned it on, we could smell electronic burning, not just like not food. food burning. <laughs> no, and it wasn't. Yeah. You know, it wasn't baking paper in the oven when we made a cake or something. It was definitely electronics and it was instant. So it wasn't, it's got too hot, it was, there's mm. something wrong. And, and yeah, because we're familiar with it, my girlfriend and I both just kind of stopped and went, okay, let's not use the microwave anymore. Unplug it, tell the housemates. Yeah. Um, uh, but, you know, if, if we didn't know that smell, we might have just assumed it was anything. You know, kitchens have smells, right? Yeah. So we're, we're tuned into it. That's good. That's good. Um and you were saying that uh, the smell comes in sense of smell comes in handy also with liquid damage that's 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 not uh, that's not been uh, confessed to <laughs> <laughs> um but it smell i i do notice that um that people really do use a sense of smell in our events um and that's something that i hadn't it, it frankly as someone who never really got that hands on with electronics it never really occurred to me i probably do it more than i think because i can't imagine an occasion i would suggest someone has a smell of something in their repair procedure but i bet i do it a lot mm. so maybe maybe it would be good to look more to all of our senses and try and uh, leverage them as much as possible definitely okay and the, the last or the last couple <laughs> the sense of sight so our sense of our sense, sense of sight obviously this is one that we're we're quite reliant on just in our day-to-day and mm. it's same at a restart party um we were talking a little bit about how um, some of our volunteers use micro- magnifying glasses and they use like head torches so they can see yeah. better inside devices. Yeah, I, th- I think in this day and age, uh, you know, a lot of people wear glasses and I, I don't. So I always assumed, you know, you have poor eyesight if you wear glasses. But the, if you look at it from another angle, we all have the tools to see very well. So there are people who work on electronics that day to day they don't mind the quality of their eyesight, but when they're going to look at a tiny machine-made circuit board, they're going to need that magnifying glass. Um, and actually, I found my own method, which is a, a very high-res digital camera, and I'll take a picture of a circuit board, maybe under a chip where there's lots of tiny pins, and then I'll get the picture and zoom in on a bigger screen and get something that you just couldn't see with the, the naked eye. That's great. I've seen um, Adafruit, a business in New York, has these fun videos where they where they have them under a microscope and they ah. kind of they walk through repair and show show people. And a lot of repair actually um, does now happen under microscopes. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, so maybe for you, this sense of um, repair through the senses and getting hands-on and sensorial with gadgets is a bit alarming. <laughs> um, I remember one uh, participant in a restart party who was a masseuse. 
Mm-hmm. And it struck me how, uh, how anxious she was to get hands on with the gadgets. And I just thought, but she spends her whole life, you know, you, you know, using mm-hmm. her hands. Um, but people really do, uh, have this fear of getting, getting hands on with electronics. Um, I guess our question is, is whether, well, we have a lot of questions, but whether the, the race for digital inclusion and teaching coding and, you know, apps as the future, whether this is kind of contributing towards an alienation that we have with stuff and whether we're doing enough to encourage this kind of, uh, uh, more kinesthetic, curious, deeper approach with electronics. Yeah, I, I mean, that's something lately I'm very aware that all of my hobbies and, and my, all my time is spent near a screen. And I'll say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm finished working for the day, so I'll go away from my screen, I'll do something I want to do, and I'll play some computer games, and it's another screen. And so even if I walk away from my desk and my computer, I usually pull up another screen. Um, and so every time I try and draw myself away from that, it's usually not just away from a screen, but towards um, a two-way relationship where you're using your hands and getting feedback. So... Uh, that's something I'm I'm trying to make happen more because screens don't usually come with the three-dimensional experience. Yeah. So, well, just to encourage you out there to think of screen time as also getting behind the screen. Uh, you've been listening to Restart Radio on Resonance 104.4 FM. Uh, you can find more information about us and our events on the restartproject.org or on Twitter, the Restart Project, or on Facebook. And we're here every Tuesday, 1.30 p.m. Until next week. 